Welcome to the Labor Force Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Strukin, proud member of New York State United Teachers, celebrating 50 years this year. On today's show, the emergence of AI in the workplace. Obviously many questions, but already some definite answers. It's not necessarily that a robot will take your job, it's that you're made into a robot to do the job. It's not elimination of the human element, it's, as always, what the humans have to do for the system to run it all. Let's take a snapshot. How does tech affect your work life? In my workspace, I have a new ClearTouch interactive board. ClearTouch's industry-leading interactive panels are here to transform your classrooms and workplaces. It's not just the hardware and software, it's the people. Our team of former educators and our US-based support ensure your end users get what they need for a successful rollout. ClearTouch offers a diverse catalog of accessories and support systems for your workspace, especially when it comes to digital signage. Our affiliate brand, Clear Digital, offers solutions that tailor entirely to your needs. Digital signage on the go? We've got you covered. A massive digital display? How big? Commercial displays with wireless web-based management? No problem. And don't ever worry about running out of steam. Clear Power is here to keep your devices powered, organized, and wire-free. No matter who you are or where you are, collaborate without limits. Interact differently and get Clear Touch today. It's everything that's mentioned there. It's crisp. It's clear. It's a massive computer. Sitting in front of a big, blank, white space where my smartboard used to hang, and for which there's still a projector shell on the ceiling, but I digress. I also have a school-issued laptop. On each device, I log into my school account with two-factor authentication using my phone. I've gone to other rooms for meetings, forgotten my phone, and had to go all the way back to retrieve it in order to log into those rooms' devices and display material on their clear touches. Attendance is online, and the site logs me out repeatedly all day for security reasons. Like anything, This balancing act takes time to become second nature, and when it does, there are more tools and updates. Continuing education in this area is paramount. To that end, my school district employs a dedicated tech department whose job is to troubleshoot, educate busy staff like me, and promote said tools and updates. They're very knowledgeable and helpful, and have been teachers themselves in many cases. Tech-savvy colleagues are also essential. To show us all how to use the clear touch boards, those who received them first were voluntold to teach the rest of us in each building who were about to receive them. To be a student today in the digital universe of a school, mine carry around a Chromebook issued to them in our one-to-one program. Students sit in all corners of my room tethered to a cord when they need to charge it while working. As you might guess, every day, someone has lost or forgotten their charger. I have two spares for when this happens. And then, students sometimes forget to grab their charging Chromebook at the end of class because they're staring down at their phone. Our primary platform is Google Classroom, where I post assignments to be completed in Google Docs, as well as links, clips, and other material. Just in time for the pandemic, the ability to assign individually to students instead of just whole classes was rolled out. 
It's also useful for small group collaboration on a doc. Consequently, almost all student work is done online, but the big graduation requirement test at the end of the year is on paper. Afterward, the students will never compose another handwritten essay for the rest of their lives. For my sanity, I work hard to maintain an organized Google Drive. I don't like physical clutter, and digital clutter is far worse if you can't or won't get a handle on it. I have three Google accounts between which I toggle, personal, school, and union. Folders, labels, contact lists, everything is organized. As such, I very much appreciate the ability to pin tabs on Google Chrome. I'm pinning and unpinning regularly beside the main tabs I keep permanently pinned. And all of this is just the Wi-Fi-based internet and cloud as we know them today, with all of our apps and hardware, indispensable to the way we live and work. See how everyone is thrown off their game when the Wi-Fi is out. All of that is not including artificial intelligence, or virtual reality, augmented reality, digital immersion. In the education space, AI is a double-edged sword, but it's not going away. According to EdSurge, even as some educators raise concerns, others see potential for new AI technology to reduce teacher workloads or help bring teaching materials to life in new ways. Outside of ChatGPT, which has gotten all the attention in the past few months and deserves attention for something else I'll bring up in a moment, there are of course many others getting in on the lucrative ed space in this realm. Have a substitute shortage? No matter. Allow an avatar to teach the material. All in on this is Prof. Jim, marketed as a software company that can turn existing written materials like textbooks, Wikipedia pages, or a teacher's notes into animated videos at the push of a button. It brands itself as neurodiverse technology. We want to make it much easier to make these teaching videos, said Deepak Sikar, co-founder and CEO of Prof. Jim, named in honor of one of his former professors at Stanford University. Lots of surveys out there show that the latest generation prefer to learn through video, through YouTube and TikTok. The company hopes to work with textbook companies that will use the software to quickly create optional video versions taught by avatars meant to embody some historical figure or modern person relevant to the material. Welcome. I'm Aristotle. My friends and I are ready to help you transform lessons into experiences. Pleased to meet you. I'm Ada Lovelace, the world's first programmer. Good day. I am Charles Babbage, the man who invented the first computer. Greetings. I am Sakajawiya, who guided the first documented exploration of the western side of the United States. We're probably right at the cusp of the marketing hard sell to institutions on the benefits of this or that AI solution, says Stephen Downs, a senior research officer at the Digital Technologies Research Center in Canada. He points to a buyer's guide for generative tools, noting that institutions will need to have their needs and priorities clear before buying marking machines or teaching robots or any such thing. Further into the pernicious world of capitalism, AI has so far been weaponized for surveillance, exploitation, and to suppress wages. Let's first look at maybe the most surveilled employees, Amazon workers, specifically Amazon delivery drivers. They labor in today's world of gas-guzzling trucks, potholes, and piles of cardboard, from customers able to acquire the items on their Amazon wish list with a tap on their phones. Like the warehouse workers and their hand scanners, 
These drivers are kept at pace also with an app. Next time you see an Amazon truck, imagine the person inside dealing with this. Amazon drivers are surveilled in multiple ways. The Mentor app, AI-powered cameras inside and outside of vans, ring doorbells and security systems, as well as the handheld scanner provided by Amazon called a rabbit. The rabbit has your route for the day and is used to scan delivered packages. The Mentor app is mandatory and can be downloaded onto your rabbit or onto your personal phone. It was created by a company called eDriving and is said to detect dangerous, risky, or distracted driving. It provides you with a seven-day average score. The best score a driver can get is 850. Anything under 500, you're said to be uninsurable. Scores go down based on perceived dangerous driving. Look at the three-point infraction for hard cornering. Let's say someone's child could suddenly run out into the street to chase a loose ball. Happens all the time. I swear to avoid hitting the child, but will then be dinged for risky driving by mentor. Once a driver is hit with an infraction, the mentor app will assign them a playlist. Playlists are many lessons between 15 and 30 minutes with questions and interactive simulations which are supposed to help the driver eliminate bad driving habits. I averaged about one playlist per shift when Mentor was on my personal phone and around three to four per shift when, I, when it was downloaded onto the Rabbit. Ignoring playlists is grounds for termination, but this is off the clock homework. On the modest side, let's say a driver receives one playlist per shift. And let's say that half are 15 minutes long and half are 30 minutes long. I made $20 an hour when I was a driver. So let's use that number. For all full-time employees, that's five playlists a week between 50 and 52 weeks out of the year because a lot of working class folks don't take vacations. Now you're looking at around 250 to 260 playlists per year. If half of those are 15 minutes long, and the other half are 30 minutes long. You're looking at between $1,875 and $1,950 in wage theft per year. On that same theme, here's author Emily Gwendolsberger on her book, On the Clock, What Low-Wage Work Did to Me and Why It's Driving America Insane. Gwendolsberger is a journalist who took jobs at an Amazon warehouse, Convergis call center, and a McDonald's and came away with the stark reality of these jobs most customers never understand. Your descriptions of the kinds of work environment, the monitoring of every moment, the, a kind of Taylorism that we used to read about gone mad with modern technology, um, really makes the case that people are driven out of any kind of normal or natural rhythm of life into becoming a a robot. I remember the thought going through my mind as I read your chapters that the really remarkable thing about modern America isn't how we are making robots more, more like people. Your book explains we're doing the opposite. We're making people more and more like a machine, like a robot, as if they had no humanity, no complexity. Anyway, is this image of things like 
you know, fast food joints or Amazon-type businesses or call centers and so forth. Are we looking at the future of American work? Is this the model that now every other business will follow this rigid routinizing of work? I think so. Uh, I tend to see capitalism as kind of a vector, um, and the vector is certainly pointing in that direction. Uh, so if it doesn't, it's just like Walmart was in the 90s, and you know, everybody had to adopt the way that Walmart treated its workforce in order to be able to compete. So, like that's sort of how they were able to keep prices down. And it involved a lot of technology that was new at the time, like these computer systems that were able to track productivity like minute by minute and second by second. And uh, yeah, like I think even listeners with uh, white collar jobs probably have started seeing this intruding on their own workplaces as these technologies become able to uh, metricize more and more uh, complicated tasks. Like, uh, you know, right now it's being applied. Ask your doctor the next time you're in for a checkup how uh, metrics affect their job. Ask any ask any lawyers. But also they are. So they are dealing with kind of the same stuff that fast food employees are in that, like everything is timed and people are always looking at you. But it's not pay like it. The pay for fast food workers is obviously much worse. And so that I think gets and also fast food workers never get to speak in the media generally. So, yeah, I do think that this is the way everything's going to go. You can hear the book fully profiled in my What's Your Labor Story episode. Definitely a must read. And whether you're another billion dollar company like OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT, or Meta and Mark Zuckerberg, purveyors of the metaverse, you can't change the world, much less orient us all toward an alternate universe without the human element. And you won't pay for the worst and hardest of the work with even dirt on the grand scale. A time exclusive out this past week. OpenAI used Kenyan workers on less than $2 per hour to make ChatGPT less toxic. From the piece, ChatGPT was hailed as one of 2022's most impressive technological innovations upon its release last November. The powerful artificial intelligence chatbot can generate text on almost any topic or theme, from a Shakespearean sonnet reimagined in the style of Megan the Stallion to complex mathematical theorems described in language a five-year-old can understand. Within a week, it had more than a million users. But the success story is not one of Silicon Valley genius alone. In its quest to make ChatGPT less toxic, OpenAI used outsourced Kenyan laborers earning less than $2 per hour, a time investigation has found. The premise? Feed an AI with labeled examples of violence, hate speech, and sexual abuse, and that tool could learn to detect those forms of toxicity. To get those labels, OpenAI sent tens of thousands of snippets of text to an outsourcing firm in Kenya. Much of that text appeared to have been pulled from the darkest recesses of the internet. Some of it described situations in graphic detail, like child sexual abuse, bestiality, murder, suicide, torture, self-harm, and incest. OpenAI's outsourcing partner in Kenya was Sama, a San Francisco-based firm that employs workers in Kenya, Uganda, and India to label data for Silicon Valley clients like Google, Meta, and Microsoft. Sama markets itself as an ethical AI company and claims to have helped lift more than 50,000 people out of poverty. But the data labelers employed by Sama on behalf of OpenAI were paid a take-home wage of between around $1.32 and $2 per hour, depending on seniority and performance. 
Former Sama employees say they now suffer from PTSD from their tenures sifting through thousands of horrid online text excerpts. These companies present AI and automation to us as though it eliminates workers, but in reality, that's rarely the case, tech culture critic Paris Marx told Popular Science. This is the model of AI development that these companies have chosen, and changing it would require completely upending the goals and foundational assumptions of what they're doing. Now let's hear from Zuckerberg. Over the last year and a half, a lot of us who work in offices have gone remote. And while I miss seeing the people I work with, I think remote work is here to stay for a lot of people. So we're gonna need better tools to work together. Let's take a look at what working in the metaverse will be like. Imagine if you could be at the office without the commute. You would still have that sense of presence, shared physical space, those chance interactions that make your day all accessible from anywhere. Now imagine that you have your perfect work setup and you can actually do more than you could in your regular work setup. And on top of all that, you can keep wearing your favorite sweatpants. And as we focused more on work, and frankly, as we've heard your feedback more broadly, we're working on making it so you can log into Quest with an account other than your personal Facebook account. We're starting to test support for work accounts soon, and we're working on making a broader shift here within the next year. I know this is a big deal for a lot of people. Not everyone wants their social media profile linked to all these other experiences, and I get that, especially as the metaverse expands. And I'll share more about that later. But I'm genuinely optimistic about work in the metaverse. We know from the last couple of years that a lot of people can effectively work from anywhere. But hybrid is gonna be a lot more complex when some people are together and others are still remote. So giving everyone the tools to be present, no matter where they are, whether it's a hologram sitting next to you in a physical meeting or in a discussion taking place in the metaverse, that's gonna be a game changer. I think this could be very positive for our society and economy. Giving people access to jobs in more places, no matter where they live, will be a big deal for spreading opportunity to more people. Dropping our daily commutes will mean less time stuck in traffic and more time doing things that matter. And it'll be good for the environment. And now let's hear from someone working in the metaverse as it exists today. This from Slate's piece this past week. The often maddening, always surreal experience of work meetings in VR. I am totally immersed in the metaverse, have a big headset on, and then I need to take off the Oculus, look on my phone for the two-factor authentication code that's been sent to it, then memorize the number, put my headset back on, and try to key it in. But when you take off the Oculus, it automatically goes to sleep mode, and I was trying to navigate the back and forth, said a junior manager at the tech consulting firm Accenture. Clunky visuals, headset pains, nausea and dizziness during use, Zoom fatigue hangovers, imperfect facial replications, and lack of additive features, i.e. shaping your 3D avatars looking attributes, have alienated even the people who should be loving this metaverse tech the most. Yet companies, including some fields outside of tech, are still trying to make it happen, hence big corporations bringing on chief metaverse officers. Assuming the tech improves, if corporations keep buying and distributing headsets, if every meeting becomes a VR or AR meeting, even proponents of this shift don't think it'll be as massive a disruption as Zuckerberg thinks it will be. Could I see people waking up and putting on a headset and then getting out of the headset at 5 in the evening? I hope not. And I don't see it, said Sean Hurwitz, 
chief executive of the Michigan company Pixo VR. To that end, Hurwitz contends that the potential for social gatherings in a gamified universe is much more feasible than actual production. But what does that mean to a capitalist enterprise? My company would be invested in making other companies want to use the metaverse, said an Accenture manager. We're selling you on an experience. We're selling you on a new business model. We're selling you on how your companies can integrate the future into your workplace. And I think that as long as other companies are buying, we'll continue to make like it's this great thing. As for me, I'm tapping on my laptop, which is missing three keys, and as Quakerist and oatmeal blotches all over the keyboard, thanks to my four-year-old daughter, who loves daddy's big touchscreen. So thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, you can find Labor Force on Spotify for podcasters and select a level, starting at just a dollar a month. Also, please share, rate, and review to help others find the show. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care and stay union strong.